Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. We're in a series going through the gospel of Mark. And uh, if you want to follow along, you can find the passage that we're looking at today printed in your bulletin or, or if you have a physical Bible. And uh, did also want to mention, if you don't have a, a physical Bible and would like to have one, we've got um, several on the book table, two different uh, translations I like, and would invite you just to grab one of those and just take it um, as yours. would love for you to have a physical copy of God's Word if you don't have one. Um, and so we're going to read this passage now and pray before we... Jump in and look at what God has to say to us today. Again, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. And so hear now God's word to us. It says, Then he went home, Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds The strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying that he has an unclean spirit. And his mothers and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him, And called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we uh, come to you this morning and we thank you for uh, inviting us once again to come and uh, be with you as your people. Um, Lord, we live in a world and in a life that uh, most of the time is um, too much for us, that's too full, that's too confusing, that's too hard. Um, so we need you to refresh us this morning. We need you to comfort us. We need you to guide us, to give us wisdom, to give us uh, your joy that comes from knowing what's true about you and about us and how you feel, feel about us and what your will is for us. And so uh, I ask this morning that you would give us your spirit and uh, give us ears to hear, make us attentive to your voice 
we want to hear you through this story we're looking at today. Would you quiet the other voices that may be loud for us that we're bringing in here this morning that we may be able to hear uh, yours? And so do that now. We ask for our good and for your glory, and we ask it in your son Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we're studying the gospel of Mark together, we're looking at the main character of the gospel, Jesus Christ, as the one true king. That's what we've called this sermon series uh, that we're doing on the gospel of Mark, our one true king. And, and that's what Mark, we're doing that because that's what Mark is doing with his gospel. Um, he's writing in a Roman world where Caesar was king, and he's writing in such a way that he wants to make clear to us that that's who Jesus is. And so in this series, we're asking the questions, what kind of king then is Jesus as the one true king? And what does this mean for us as you and I trust and seek to follow him? And, and today we come to a passage that is a bit confusing and, and complex, but in it we get to see another aspect of the kind of king this Jesus is. And what we see here is that he is a misunderstood king, that he is a, a misunderstood king. I think that's at least one of the ways you can try to, try to bring together all of this and summarize what's going on, that Jesus is, is profoundly misunderstood. And this is important for us to see and to get so we can more fully understand who Jesus is. But practically, it's also important because one of the core principles we get in the New Testament is that when you and I follow Jesus and we trust him to be the one true king of our lives, we can and should expect to be treated like him. As we trust him, as we're united to him by faith, as we're in him and he's in us, we should expect the world and the people around us to treat us in a lot of the same ways that he was treated when he walked the earth. And, and that includes being misunderstood. Now, that's not exactly an encouraging truth. I did come across a quote this week from Little Wayne, the rapper of all people, uh, that just said, I like being misunderstood. Little Wayne, I didn't get any context other than that, so maybe not discouraging for everyone. But I know at least I'll say for me, I don't like being misunderstood. Uh, it's lonely to be misunderstood. It's painful to be misunderstood. But it is part of what comes with the territory when you follow Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to talk about it as we look at this passage. And what we see here is going to help us learn more about this part of our life with Jesus and it's going to help equip us with the resources to endure, and even more than that, to, to actually flourish in the midst of it. And so as we walk through this, we're going to look at three things today. First, the people who misunderstand Jesus, then the misunderstandings they have about him, and then we'll end by looking at the, the greater purpose of it all. So the people who misunderstand Jesus, the specific misunderstandings they have about him, and then the purpose of it all. So first, the people who misunderstand Jesus. So who is it here that's misunderstanding Jesus? Who is it that's not getting him? And even more than that, who's opposing him? Well, it's two groups of people we see, and we see both of them in verses 20 through 22. And the first group we see who misunderstands Jesus is Jesus' own family. Look again at verse 20. 
Mark says that when Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And we just saw last week Jesus withdraw from the crowds to a mountain to call and commission his 12 apostles, these men who were going to be with him, and then he was going to send out to preach and cast out demons in his name. And we don't know exactly how long they were gone, but now verse 20 says they're back in the mix. And once again, a large crowd gathers around them, and a crowd, it's a crowd with, that's so big and has so many needs that Jesus and his disciples can't even find time to get away to get something to eat. And apparently his family hears about this one way or another, and they decide it's, it's time to do something about it. And so they go, and as Mark says in verse 21, they try to, to seize him. And what this means is they're going to try to take him out, and, and not take him out like they're trying to hurt him, but they're, they're trying to remove him from the situation. It's, it's an intervention. Because in their minds, they're, they're going to get him out of all this craziness he's got himself caught up in so they can protect him from himself the way we might do with a friend or family member who's gotten a little out of control and caught, caught up in something that wasn't good for them. And so the first group who misunderstands him here is his own family. But then the second group who misunderstands him are the leaders of his own religious community. Verse 22, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. So these are the religious scholars of the day, and they've come from Jerusalem, which was the, the center of the Jewish faith. And so they're, they're a big deal. These are the major authorities of Jesus' own faith community, and they don't understand him either. And before we get into the misunderstandings themselves, I, I want us to take a minute to just think about these two groups here who are misunderstanding him. The members of Jesus' own family and the leaders of his own religious community. You could say his family of faith. And now, if I were to ask you what two groups of people in your life you expect to give you the most support, to understand you the most, to encourage you the most, would it not be these two groups? Your family and your church family. Wouldn't that be it? Wouldn't that at least be the place you want to get this from in, in the deepest way? Surely it was the same for Jesus. But what we're seeing here is these are the very two groups who understand him least, who oppose him, and what he's trying to do in this passage. And Michael Card, in his commentary, I like how he encourages us. He says about this, he says, engage with your imagination. Grasp Jesus' bleak situation. The two groups from which he has a right to expect support, his family and the leaders of the religious community, have determined that he is insane insane, and demon-possessed. And here's what we learn as we take this in. When you and I follow Jesus, not only are we going to be misunderstood, but often like Jesus we are going to be misunderstood by the very people we long to understand us the most. Our own families. I mean, anybody a little nervous about going home for Thanksgiving this week? Anybody a little on edge, uneasy 
about that. I know, I know there can be all kinds of family dynamics at work, but might it be that part of the nervousness you feel, if you feel it, is being misunderstood by your family, particularly for your faith, for what you believe about Jesus and how that informs the way you live your life. Perhaps your family doesn't understand a career decision you've made or a path you've taken. Maybe they don't understand the way you do your social life, the way you approach dating or marriage or raising your kids if you have them. Maybe they don't understand how you speak about other people, especially those who are different from you or who may disagree with you. Maybe they just don't get why so much of your life and community that you tell them about and that they've experienced is centered around this weird place called Hope Community Church. Or maybe it's not your family. Maybe your family shares your faith and you do feel really supported and understood by them in that way. And that's a huge gift. And I know many of us have that. But, but it's, gonna, it's going to show up somewhere. And for us, differently than Jesus in his context, it shouldn't happen in our religious family known as the church. Because, of course, the church is all about Jesus, or at least is supposed to be. And, and that's not to say church hurt doesn't happen or that you will never be misunderstood in the church for trying to follow and be faithful to Jesus. Sadly, that does happen, and it's devastating. But at least in theory, it shouldn't. And why it does is another sermon for another time. But you can expand it beyond these two categories. You can expand it to just any community or any group of people that you're a part of and that you're close to. For example, when you follow Jesus, there's a good chance you're going to be misunderstood in your workplace. When you follow Jesus, you're you're going to be misunderstood by your friends and your neighbors who don't follow him. You're going to be misunderstood by people you Uh, work out with or play golf or pickleball with or whatever kind of group it is that you're a part of. Like there are going to be conversations and topics that people just don't bring up around you. There are going to be conversations you kind of walk into in a social setting and all of a sudden it just dies, right? There are going to be events and and different hangouts that uh, you're not invited to. I noticed this uh, for the first time on my basketball team in in college and I, I was a new Christian And over time in this group, I kind of became known as someone who would go to Bible studies and campus ministries and things like that. Um, And most of my other friends uh, in college were Christians. This was kind of the first group where I was uh, a little different. And and thankfully, the guys were kind to me. They respected me. We, We still had a good relationship and were still friends. But I do remember for the first time having a sense of like, oh, they're not gonna have that conversation because I'm here. Or I'm not invited, I I realize I'm not being invited to something. And hopefully that wasn't because I was being self-righteous. That can be another factor here we need to mention. Like you're not being misunderstood, you're just being a jerk, right? So that's a a whole different thing. Uh, But this does happen. And it's happened a lot since then. I know there have been times where Sarah and I have been excited about a potential relationship or friendship with someone, there's momentum and connection, but then something comes up about the church or our faith, and it's like our cover's been blown, and uh, the momentum all of a sudden just fades out. There's kind of a distance, and, and that doesn't happen all the time, but it does. And, and when any of this kind of thing happens, whether it's in your own family or it's in another community, uh, you're a part of it, hurts, it's painful. You do feel the loneliness of it, but I know what helps me 
is to look and see Jesus has been here before. This is nothing new. This is actually a normal part of me following him to sometimes be misunderstood by people I really want to be understood by. And so that's the first thing here we see, the the people who misunderstand Jesus. And so now let's go to our second point and, and let's talk about the specific misunderstandings they have about him. And what are they? Well, the Michael Card quote we read a few minutes ago named them, but to drill a little deeper, Jesus' family, they misunderstand him by saying he's crazy. Again, verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the religious scholars from Jerusalem, they misunderstand Jesus by saying he's evil. Verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. So the misunderstandings we see here are that that Jesus is crazy or that he's evil, that he's lost his mind or that he's possessed by an evil spirit. And the interesting thing about this passage and the way it flows is it presents us with the only real options we have when it comes to who Jesus is. If you read the Bible, specifically if you read the Gospels and you take seriously what Jesus says about himself, you only have a few legitimate options, three to be exact. Jesus is either a crazy person, like his family believes at this point. He is evil, like the scribes believe, or he's the real thing. He's who he says he is. There's there's no other intellectually responsible option if you take his claim seriously. If you take his claim seriously to be God, even as we've seen so far in our study of the book of Mark. Think about his claim to be the son of man. This glorious figure from Daniel chapter 7 who uh, the Bible talks about he's going to come and rule and reign over all peoples and all nations. Think about his claim to be the Lord of the Sabbath, which is basically a way of saying, I'm the creator. I'm the one who made up the Sabbath and who gave it to you. And don't forget his claim to be able to personally forgive our sins. I mean, you can't read those claims and say he was just a good guy. He was just a a good moral teacher, and we should implement some of his teaching into our lives. You can't do that. I mean, imagine if, if you had a friend or someone you knew, and and they seemed very wise, and they said some profound things about life and the way uh, the world works that really resonated with you. But imagine this same person also claimed to be God. (laughs) They claimed to be eternal. Imagine they claimed to be able to, that they had the power to forgive your sins. You wouldn't say about this person, oh, well, that's just, you know, him or her, and, and they're great, you know, but that's just them. Right? They're actually one of my closest mentors. Right? You wouldn't say that. No, you would say something like either what either Jesus' family or the scribes say here. You'd say either they're crazy or they're evil or maybe both. And that's where it's not good at all what Jesus' family or the scribes are doing in the story, but it at least makes sense. They're at least taking seriously what Jesus was doing and what he was saying about himself, they misunderstand it, but they're at least taking the question seriously. 
And for you and me today, this should drive us to do the same thing. Seeing these three categories about Jesus, it should cause us to take the question seriously too and to wrestle with, who do I honestly say Jesus is? It can't be a good moral teacher, so then who is he? Is he crazy? Is he evil? Or is he the Christ? Is he the Lord? Is he the Son of God? And of course, that's a, that's a great question to ask if you're in the process of trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus. But even if you do believe he is who he says he is, it's still good to come back and be reminded of the weight of, of what you do believe and what you're actually saying when you're confessing that Jesus is the Lord. Because I mean, it's a little wild. Sometimes I think we forget how kind of strange and amazing it is what we believe when we say that and what we're claiming. And then secondarily, continuing on the theme of following Jesus and being treated like him, the, these misunderstandings we see, they also show us how the world is going to misunderstand us when, when we follow him. Especially more and more in our world today, as you guys know, the, the days of everyone being culturally Christian and, and you know, cool with Jesus are, are ending, probably have ended. And so more and more, for those of us who do say Jesus is God, people are going to think these same things. They're going to say these same kinds of things about us. Like they're going to say we're crazy for believing the things we do, for believing the, the, the stories in the Bible are true, for believing in miracles, for believing in a, a creator God, for believing in a bodily resurrection, a new heavens, and a new earth, uh, for worshiping and praying to a God that we can't see. And they're also sometimes going to say that we're evil for views we have that don't line up with, with the culture and, and politics of the moment, whatever perspective it is, views we have on sexuality, on marriage and family, views we have about justice and the importance of caring for the poor and the marginalized in our society. I mean, Jesus himself was very clear in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so this is all leading us to our last point, leading us to look at the greater purpose of it all. Because this is the only way we can endure. And the only way that, even as I said, we can actually flourish as we're being uh, misunderstood for following Jesus. We've got to see the purpose. We've got to see who Jesus truly is as the Lord he claims to be and what he came to do for us. And this is, this is what he's doing, what he's showing us in the rest of the passage. In verses 23 through 26, he uses several many parables to refute the scribes' claim that he's possessed by an evil spirit and is, by, and is casting out Satan by his own power. And it's pretty straightforward logic that he uses. In verse 23, he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. It's pretty simple. He's like, how does that make any sense for Satan to cast out himself, for him to be trying to build his own kingdom and yet working against himself at the same time? And then in verse 27, he goes on to explain what's really happening the truth of who he is and what he came to do. He says in verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. And so contrary to the idea that he's fighting against Satan while being on Satan's own team, Jesus explains the truth is he's come to bind Satan. He's come to bind the strong man so he can plunder his house. So he can take away his goods from him. And what Jesus is talking about here is us. We're the goods who were stuck in his house in the parable. And in Ephesians 2, Paul says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, another name for Satan. See, that's where we are, that's where we were, left to ourselves. We're following the prince of the power of air. We're bound up and stuck in his house. And what Jesus is saying is, my purpose is that I've come to bind up Satan so I can unbind you. I've come to destroy Satan so I can take back what belongs to me. That's what the Father sent him to do. That's what the Holy Spirit empowered him to do. And briefly, as a side note, that's why Jesus uses the forceful language he does at the end of this section um, that's been talked about as the unpardonable sin in verses 28 through 30. And sometimes uh, we may think we have committed it, especially if you're a conscientious person. But what this is, is it's taking the work of Jesus powered by the Holy Spirit, the work to unbind us, the work to rescue us, and it's attributing it to the devil, It's attributing the work of God to the work of an evil spirit. And so it's not something you just like accidentally do and slip up and do in a moment of weakness one day. And maybe you've heard this before, but that's why it's often been said, if you're worried about committing this sin or if you're worried you have committed this sin before, you haven't. Because it's a deliberate, ongoing, and intentional rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so if you've been wondering about that, if you've been worried about that since I first read it, I hope that, I hope that brings you some comfort. But the point is, Jesus has come to set us free from Satan's grasp. As the Lord, he's come to take us out of the house of darkness and misery and to bring us into a new house, his house, his family. And, and that's what's going on in the last section. Jesus' mom And brothers that were mentioned earlier, they finally show up and they're ready to take him home. And and when Jesus hears about this, here's how he responds in verse 33. He answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. See, the great purpose of Jesus was to come And create a new family. 
It was and it is to bring us, to bring you and I who believe in him back into our first family, into the family of God, the family where God is our father and where Jesus is our brother. And that's what his ministry was about, to be our brother, to be our brother who comes to search for us, who comes to seek and save us when we were lost, who, who comes to bring us home. And Edmund Clowney, who was uh, one of Tim Keller's most significant mentors, he, he tells a, a story in one of his sermons about an American soldier in Vietnam named Daniel Dawson. And uh, his reconnaissance plane, while he was serving, went down over the Viet Cong jungle, and he went missing. And when his brother, Donald, back at home, heard this report, of course he was devastated, but he decided that he was going to do, some, do something about it. And what he decided that he was going to do was he was going to go find him. And so he sold everything he had. He left his home. He bought transportation over to Vietnam. When he got there, he figured out how to get some soldier's gear, and he put that on, and he started wandering around the guerrilla-controlled jungle looking for his brother, asking everyone, passing out pamphlets, showing what the plane looked like, explaining the reward if someone had any news of where he was. And to the Viet Cong, the, the Vietnamese people, he eventually became known as the brother of the pilot because that's what he was about. That's what he was all about. He just wanted to find his brother. And see, when Jesus saw us lost in a far country on our own, he came to find us. He left his home in heaven and everything that was comfortable for him. And a big part of him coming was to be misunderstood by his family, by his religious community so badly that they would ultimately kill him on the cross for being crazy, for being evil, as a blasphemous and treasonous rebel. But little did they know this was the very way he came to bind up Satan for good. The very way he came to rescue us as his brothers and sisters and to bring us back home to him and to one another in him. So yes, it's lonely and it's painful to be misunderstood, but the way you keep going through it is you see the, the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to be misunderstood for you. He came to be misunderstood to bring you home and into his family where you'll always be perfectly known and understood by God. And hopefully where even in this earthly expression of God's family we call the church, you'll also be understood and known. And again, the church is far from perfect. So there are going to be bumps and bruises along the way. But as we follow our brother together, as the Holy Spirit matures us and brings us into this family identity we have, this, this should be a safe place for us to be known, for us to be understood by one another. As we journey through life with all it brings our way, good and bad, together in him we can become this kind of community, this kind of family for each other so that even if we are misunderstood, like even if you're misunderstood this week with your family at home, or as we're misunderstood by the other families and communities we're a part of, we can endure and even rejoice and, and be able to love those 
who misunderstand us because we know we have a king who's not crazy, who's not evil, but who loves us. A king who loves us so much that he was willing to be misunderstood all the way to the cross where he set us free, where he brought us into this new family. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our great and true older brother who did come to be misunderstood for us. And we pray that today, um, by the power of your spirit, that truth would penetrate our hearts in a deeper way. Um, Lord, pray that you'd help us to endure uh, being misunderstood uh, in your name because we belong to you. And would you help us here together as a family at uh, Hope Community Church Southend to be a place um, where we do uh, know and love one another, where we understand each other, um, even though uh, we're going to hurt each other too. But we, we ask that you'd make us into that more and more. And we look forward to the day when uh, we'll all um, experience perfect family fellowship together uh, with you in the new heavens and the new earth. And uh, we thank you again for these amazing truths and uh, pray this for our good and your glory in Jesus' name, amen.